This is the Alal Qatar podcast by Olawale Adegun and Adeyemi Adesonya. Check. One, two, one, two, one, two. Guys, this is it. You're welcome to Hala Qatar and my name is Olawale Adegun. And um, guess what? I got Adeyemi Adesonya on this one. Yemi man, you offer. <laughs> That's a good day. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, it's great to be in the same spot with you. Been a long while. Over a long time, yeah. yeah. Long while. Yeah. Feels like a reunion, kind of. Yeah. All right, um, so guys, on this podcast, I mean, this is the debut edition. It's the maiden edition. I'll be taking a look at um, everything concerning Qatar 2022. It's been a fantastic World Cup. I mean, coming off the backdrop of um, human rights. But I mean, what do you think about, I mean, all of the, the bad press um, the World Cup has gotten before it even kicked off. You get a feeling that um, that's threatened to take a shine off what a spectacle we're enjoying so far. So good. I knew that once the football started, all that will you yeah, know, fall into the yeah. background. And the football has been good. Um, generally speaking, uh, yes, you might have had one or two games that are not up to par, but mm. at the same time, once the football kicked off, all the hypocrisy had to take it back. So, so apparently, Yann Infantino was right. Focus on the football. Yeah, focus on the football. I already said it from the get-go. Focus on the football. You are here for football. This is an opportunity for a people to show the world their country, their culture. And I do know people who are in Qatar, as we speak, that are having a great time, you know, irrespective of what anybody wants to say. But you have to understand that the world we live generally is quite hypocritical. And yeah, that's what you're having. No, no, I mean, it brings me to my next question. Do you think the World Cup has changed... Um, the mindset of people about the Middle East, about that part of the world? Um, gradually, it is. Um, you can see the progression the likes of uh, the United Arab Emirates are making, mm. uh, Saudi Arabia. Yep. They are making giant strides in what people call sports watching today. Oh, yeah, Amnesty International, take a bow. Yeah, you know, so but Qatar has really done a fantastic job with this World Cup. It's a great... But, but, but yeah, I mean, whilst we want to focus on the football, we cannot um, also ignore at what cost this has come. I mean, I'm not talking about the financial cost. Yeah. This is the most expensive World Cup ever. But we can't ignore what has happened to those who have made, who have, I mean, their blood, their sweat, their tears... We can't ignore that. Of course you can't ignore it. Uh, but at the same time, you can't come... Um, with um, with blindfold into this argument because look, there is no civilization that has not had its issues, trials and tribulations. Uh, most advanced uh, civilizations we have today have also committed some atrocities yeah. along the way. Yeah. So you can't come. They say he will come to equity must come with clean hands. Sure. You know, so you can't come and you know be overly critical of a certain civilization who are trying to put themselves you know, in the front burner uh, for tourism, for investment, or what have you, and want to deny them their time in the sun. And I think that's what the, the, the Western world has been trying to do with Qatar, knowing fully well that they themselves are not, you know, they can't, their white is not sparkling white. True. It's filled with a, a lot of spots. And I, 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 honestly, I think that um, whilst they've invested heavily in the World Cup, Qatar also have invested in in personnel to help out preach that message. 
it well, looked as if they were expecting all of this back. Of course, they knew it was going to happen. I mean, expertly, they've gone about, you know, countering all of, you know, what you've been getting from the West. And actually, I mean, to be fair on FIFA, FIFA also, and, and that's what the English press of the West won't, 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 won't propagate. There's a FIFA legacy fund mm-hmm. for those who are involved in building the stadiums. Yes. And it's going to come into effect after the World Cup. Yes. So I think everybody has to take a chill pill. And once again, let's focus on the Well, game. the first thing is this. Any World Cup that is held outside the superpowers. Yeah. And I'm in train superpowers. I'm talking of mainland Europe, uh, North America. That's the U.S. now. And we should logic and Canada will be an issue. They had an issue with Brazil hosting the World Cup in 2014. Oh, yeah. They had an issue with South Africa in 2010. And, 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 the, and they had an issue with Russia and, as well. And the U.S. still haven't forgiven for FIFA yeah. for denying them of that World Cup for, for Russia. Yeah, but they have a World Cup in 2026 to look forward to. Yeah, and they still haven't forgiven. I mean, remember <laughs> how, how they raided FIFA? Yeah. And um, declared FIFA being corrupt. And um, probably that was even the beginning of the end for the likes of Seblatter and the rest. All right, guys. Um, once again, it's Hala Qatar. And um, I've got Yemi Adesai. My name is Olawale Adigu. And don't forget to subscribe and um, listen on every platform out there. I'm Hala Qatar. All right, we'll take a break. It's a very, very short one. We'll come back. We'll get straight into um, the game itself. African teams spin kind of a mixed bag, but we'll take... Um, um, a bigger look at um, Senegal, Morocco, Tunisia, Cameroon, and Ghana after this. It's still the Alal Qatar podcast. Welcome back. Yeah, it's Alal Qatar. And guess what? Uh, whilst it's been raining goals today at the World Cup, it's actually raining. It's really where, um, right here where we're recording from um, at the Bedou Studios. But, um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about um, the African teams. And I think that um, we should start from what's really fresh. Uh, because um, just a few minutes ago, Cameroon ended their winless run at the World Cup spent about eight games. They've, been, they've lost their last eight in the World Cup. Uh, but, um, I mean, they can take it positive from this point. And, um, yeah, I mean, the manner which they got the draw will be very, very encouraging for them. More like a lose, their losing streak. They yeah, the yeah, losing, losing streak, yeah. Um, I had my issues with Cameroon going into this game. I felt that um, they lacked the cutting edge. They had a lot of chances in the first game. Uh, against Switzerland that he didn't take. And they faded badly in the and second exactly half. Exactly, faded badly in the second half. I felt that they are better served when they have a two-prone attack of Chuba Motin or Vincent Abubakar. But for some reason, Jogo um, Besson believes in playing one man as a focal point. But then, we saw in the game against yeah, Serbia... But, but, but to be honest, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you throw in Vincent Abubakar and Chuba Motin, I mean, where do you put um, Mbomo? Mbomo playing, the Brentford guy. Play him wide. Playing wide, or it could still be an option to come off the bench. It, it makes a lot of sense, but that means you're playing all of your cards one, one, one time. I mean, you need something to come off the why bench. Why not put your best cards on the table from the get-go? Why Why are you waiting? What, they almost lost it. Yeah. They took a lead. Had to come from 3-1 down. to come from 3-1 down. When they brought on Vincent Abubaka, by the way. Goal and assist. So, come, come on. I, I feel that, look, a lot of African teams will learn from Morocco. And now up front, Morocco are with their plans. Morocco have been very aggressive, very attack-minded from the get-go. They're not cautious, they're not conservative, they're going at... Are Morocco benefiting from having a much more expansive style, maybe sort of like yeah. a European football style? Yes. 
And you see, sometimes when, when teams take a knee-jerk reaction in firing a manager, it has a bit of a ripple effect. Yeah. And I think they are benefiting from the ripple effect because they have a much more open-minded coach now who is playing to the actual strengths of this Moroccan side. They have a lot of pace in wide areas and they are using it to the full benefit and of the team. And a lot of aggression in the middle. Exactly. Yeah. With uh, Amrabat in the middle, even though he's always one tackle away from true, true. getting the yellow card of Vincent. And also the return to form and fitness of Naif Aguirre I mean, it's been timely. He's been injured for the most part of the season. But, I mean, he just, he just returns in time for the World Cup. He's given them a big boost. This is... The, what Morocco has done is it will give a lot more people giving... Potentially giving more homegrown coaches an opportunity. Mm. Because I think homegrown coaches probably understand the mentality of the... But, I mean, actually, we have the World Cup with all of them coming the, with homegrown coaches. Homegrown coaches, that's what I'm saying. All that. African teams. And, like it or not... If you're going to list the teams that play the better football so far, Morocco will feature amongst the top five. True. So it just shows you that sometimes you need a homegrown coach that has an open mind, not just any homegrown coach, that has an open mind, that has earned his place. This guy has earned his place to be at this World Cup. So you give Morocco a lot of credit because they're playing to their strength, they have their ideology, and they're able to stand. To Many African countries always cower when they play the much more illustrious European position. But Morocco has shown that, look, we're ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you. But actually, a, a lot of people just don't know, Walid Regragui, that's the coach of Morocco, is not just your normal coach. I mean, that guy came from, I think, with that. With that, yeah, after winning Champions League. I'm looking at the CV playing career at Racing Santander, played at Strasbourg, played at Jasio. It's widely traveled. So, I mean, there's a lot of football culture that is imbibed. And you can see a manifestation of that. I mean, what Morocco are currently currently doing um, at the World Cup. But I wanted to also. I'm still talking about Morocco and their style of football. Is it what is that what is needed for African football to be able to stand up against the very best, especially from Europe and South America? I mean, you look at the Super Eagles and you just imagine how they go about their football. I mean, a couple of days ago, I was tweeting, "Could the Super Eagles have the tactical discipline?" To mirror what Saudi Arabia did against yeah. Argentina. You look like they look like a, a very rigid team, a team that lacks runners who make, you know, runners out wide, make runs in behind and stop. But you look at Morocco, see what they were doing. They were all active against Belgium. And honestly, I have not seen that from any of the African teams, Cameroon, even Senegal. You know, I haven't seen much of that. Is that what is needed? That change of. Um, of mentality and the style of play. I mean, you look talk about African football. I mean, what comes to mind? Physicality, you know, you know, goal, um, gong or brawn over brain, you know. So maybe that's what's needed. I don't know what you think. African teams need to realize that it's not just about being physical. You have to find a way to balance it and probably mix it, mix mm. and match it. A lot of the African teams, Senegal, Cameroon, is being more physical than a little bit of flair, a little bit of artistry, uh, and a little bit of control at the same time. Sometimes when you are ahead, when you, are in, when, you are, uh, when you have more possession, you need to also exert control with the, with the advantage that you have. I think that's where Morocco are a bit different. Exerting control and knowing that, look, whilst we're on the front foot, we have to still keep our shape, we have to still be very compact, and that's the benefit of having players in midfield like Amrabat who will work tooth and nail, yep. clean up, try to join the attack as much as possible. So African teams need to know that they need to mix it up. Then there's that know-how, the mental aspect of the game, being able to keep yourself mentally ready 
for more than 90 minutes. Look at the goal they scored when they were on the back foot, when yeah. Belgium were trying to get, get back an equalizer. That epitomizes mental strength, very strong mental strength. And that's one area African teams continue to lack. How do you expect Akim Zek? I mean, you see him at the World Cup, gives you some... Although I don't think it was good in the first game. The second game was absolutely astonishing. I mean, man of the match award. And you juxtapose that with what we see at Chelsea every weekend. It's a simple case of having a manager that probably understands you, gives... Even though it's cliche, don't know, hold on. Regal Gui hasn't been in that post. Yeah, but understands the kind of, ma of player that he is and is willing for him to probably express himself, giving him the freedom to express himself. Even though the time of having a manager with his arm around you, for me, it's quite cliche. I don't believe in it. Yeah, that's crap. But this guy said, look, you are our talisman going forward. You're probably the best player we have going forward. I give you an opportunity to express yourself. Express yourself to the benefit of the team. Look at the chance he created yesterday. He could have gone on by himself. Yeah. But he held on to the ball, took a good turn on, on that defender, and laid it on the plate for the guy to finish. So I think he's given more opportunity to express himself, not in a restrictive structure like he's had at Chelsea, where you know probably the managers are expecting you to do more work off the ball, uh, get back behind the ball, maybe uh, also try to press or counter-press in certain instances. So I think that is the issue with Ziyech. A lot of Chelsea fans are already saying, you know, what kind of player is this? What are we going to get when he comes back? You so know, for so the I was saying the positive in his good form is that, oh, quickly find someone to get him to off, get their books, off their books. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, wrapping up with the African teams, I mean, we talked about Morocco, who have given Africa... It's only win so far, so good. Um, to well, me, Senegal has also won. Yeah, yeah Senegal beat be Qatar, actually. Uh, but, but let's talk about another North African team, Tunisia. Mixed bag, because yeah. they're on the brink. They haven't scored a goal. So I don't know if the cup is half empty <laughs> or half full. I think Tunisia was one team going to this, nation's, uh, to this World Cup that I gave no chance. Yeah. They've been to the World Cup the most times tied with Nigeria outside Cameroon. And I felt that you guys just keep coming to this World Cup and you do nothing. Absolutely nothing. But I think they came with a different mentality this time. Better, better structured, better, much more compact and organized. I think still, that final thought, being able to utilize their chances going forward. For instance, in the first game, uh, where the Kaji wasn't even in the starting lineup, that, I think, was part of their undoing. I think that anything Tunisia would do, even though Kaji is on the wrong side of 30, yeah, I still think that... Now, at, a lot of experience. Yeah, I think at this point, he's still somebody that can give a lot to that team. But, hey, they gave a good games in the first game, but they stuttered in the second yeah, one. Yeah, of the games they made the against top. Denmark, I thought they threw oh, it against yeah, Australia. Oh, yeah, against Australia. Yeah, and, and, and still with the, the African teams, you hear me? Um, I think I was I was on my radio show a couple of days ago, and someone sent in a message and said the reason why African teams are currently struggling, especially with goals, is probably the continent also has been struggling to produce quality attacking midfielders. Quality, I, I don't think we have problems with central, creative, creative midfielders. Yeah. It's maybe it's, it's not more about the strikers, it's about the quality in who's given the final pass. Yeah, correct. Um, I, I wrote I wrote in one of my columns of the, for the World Cup 
about Senegal and the similarities in all their midfielders. They're all the same. Yeah, yeah. No creativity. Imagine uh, Idris Gala game me the one taking the set pieces. True. And I ask, come on, are you telling me that there is nobody else that can play the set pieces? Look at Cameroon. Nobody gives you that. Nobody will take you off your feet, yeah. you know. And, and I think, aside Morocco, who have creativity on the white side, yeah. no other African team. And, and that's why I think Ghana might be the exception with Mohamed Kudus, who I think has the it factor for Ghana. But unfortunately, you have, you're talking about local coaches, which is also the flip side we're going to do. Local coaches, they also have a tendency to want to be conservative. Like, okay, this job, I have it. I don't know how long I have yeah, it for. Yeah, yeah. Do I go in and tell my guys, go and play, go and express yourself, or do I try to be conservative and see what can I steal from this competition? So, generally, just like certain uh, countries in Europe are not producing strikers anymore, we'll get into th that, those countries. Africa is not producing creative midfielders anymore. What do you think about Ghana? I mean, we've only seen a, a game so far, they're in action. Um, against, um, I think, Uruguay. Uh, but um, against Portugal, I thought they gave a good account of themselves. Probably they let the occasion get into them. Um, I thought they were still in the game at 2-1, at, yeah. at two, two, um, but, but lost all of the marbles to, 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 to consider that crucial third goal. I like the shape of the team. I like the setup of the team, especially in that forward part. I, I think that... You like it or not, call him old. Andrea, you still gives, he has yeah. a lot to give the squad. And this Inaki Williams experiment, I think, is working. As long as, first of all, they play South Korea, by the way. Oh, South Korea, yeah. First of all, I was one of those that was very critical about them snapping Inaki Williams up because I have a problem with these guys joining up with teams that qualify for the World Cup. When the big gigs come around, yeah. yeah. I want to see him when it's time for the Afghan qualifiers yeah, and yeah. the likes. But I think Inaki Williams solves that goal-scoring problems left by Asamoah Gyan. Yeah. I think he solves that problem perfectly. Um, the first mistake, and I think which was their undoing against Portugal, was that substitution of taking off Mame Kudus and Andreo. Immediately they scored the equalizer. When that Kudus option still remains a head-scratcher. Yes. And the Ghanaians on Twitter still haven't forgiven or tried <laughs> Yeah. I think, I think his outlook was he was running on a yellow card. And he felt, but I felt that you just equalized. Steady things. And actually, Kudus was just coming into the game. He had yeah. his take in the first half. Yeah. He was just coming into the game, created the, the, the chance that Ayo scored. So from. I felt it was an opportunity, it was a time for them to calm down, not panic, but instead they panicked. Probably the inexperience of Otoado also showed. I mean, uh, Ado is um, just a new, uh, a green on who's learning the ropes at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, so probably that should, um, hopefully they recover well against um, South Korea. All right, we've got to take a break right now. And um, when we come back, I'll uh, be coming back, um, taking a look um, at um, the South Americans. Um, it's been um, also kind of a mixed bag, although Argentina, one of the favorites, um, recovered from that shocking um, opening loss to Saudi Arabia. We'll talk about them after the break. Still Halakata podcast. Welcome back. Yes, uh, still Halakata podcast and uh, my name is still Olawali Adigo. I've got Adeyemi Adisai. I've talked about um, the 
um, African teams at um, Qatar 2022. Now let's focus on the Southern American teams. And um, yeah, I mean, no price for guessing. Let's get started with the team that um, gave us some um, the shocker of our lives. Our bed sleeps, our coupons, and yeah, what have you. Let's talk about Argentina. But before we get into Argentina, um, pronto. Where does that um, upset, where does it rank for you amongst um, the biggest of World Cup upsets in World Cup history? It ranks very high. Um, How high? Very high. <laughs> I probably, I, at some point, I said it was the biggest upset in World Cup history, but then I remember Cameroon uh, defeated world, then world champions, Argentina, at Italian 90 on the opening day. Then I also remember... I don't think any World Cup upset comes close to that. <laughs> and I also remember Senegal defeating then world champions, France, at uh, South Korea, Korea, Japan, 2002. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, so but, but, it comes, but it comes pretty close. Yeah, pretty um, close. I, I think for me, it has to be 1990. Cameron actually ended that game with nine men. With nine men, remember? Yeah. Um, Neri Pompido was, was goalkeeper for Argentina that year. But Senegal came into that France game as, um, I think... Um, Rollers up. Rollers up. From and Afcon? the Afcon, yeah. Yeah, maybe there was not enough focus on them because Afcon wasn't as big as... Yeah, but at the same time, that France team had top scorers from, I think, three different leagues. Yeah. Come I mean, on. France were double continental yeah, champions. Yeah, one World, World Cup, Cup in World champions and, and Euro champions in 2000. Yeah, I get it. I think another World Cup upset I would not forget is this team I'm watching right now, South Korea, upsetting Italy, Italy. in and 2002. Spain. And Spain. And yeah, Spain. Yeah, yeah. That, that also ranks somewhere. Um, I think another one I'll come close to, I have to dig into the archives. I think it was... Um, was it 82, Algeria? Yes, Algeria. Uh, West and, Germany. And two, even in 86 as well, uh, Morocco gets into the second round. And also, 2014, uh, Costa Rica over Italy. Over Italy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Algeria, I can't forget. I mean, Algeria will never forget, forgive West Germany. Why? I think there was a collaborative between West Germany and was it Austria. Yeah, back in that, that, that time, you didn't have uh, games played simultaneously. Simultaneously, yeah. and, and that, that really messed up Algeria's chances of progressing. All right, I'm currently watching Ghana, South Korea, and um, 18 minutes into that, I was still goalless. I'm rooting for Ghana, surprisingly. They did. But, but yeah, be quickly. If we had gone to the World Cup, I'd have been in this group. It would have been terrible. Really? Yeah. So you don't think that would have fared better? Would have been awful. And Portugal beat us before the World Cup. Would have been terrible. Well, it would have been terrible. But I, I think fine. Okay, Portugal beats us. But we're going to give ourselves a good, a good, good. We're going to give a good account of ourselves against South Korea. Wally, would have been terrible. Yeah, I mean, don't make it look that way. We are not that bad. We are not progressing. We've not been, we've been stagnant for yeah, at I mean, least. Ghana progressing. Wally, they are progressing. Because actually, if I got to the World Cup, we'll probably have brought in Iberia's Iberia's. Well, I still have improved the squad. You, you, know, you, know, you know how it goes with Nigeria oh football. And then comes we'll around. have enhanced the yes, bilateral relations uh, with Qatar. Exactly. We'll have, we'll have done something, honestly. But I don't think it will have been as bad. Maybe we won't qualify because, I mean, there's still Uruguay. But Uruguay also an aging squad. So yeah, probably, very aging yeah, team. Probably yeah. be able to deal with them. All right, so let's let's talk about Argentina real quick and um, relief for them after beating Mexico. Um, to nil. Messi also coming into his own in, in, that, in that game. But they have to be better going forward. They have to be. <laughs> it doesn't look good because um, I think I think um, the, the it's hard to negative for me. Um, first and foremost, they were unlucky. And, you know, people need to also realize that luck plays a huge part yeah. in this game. They, they scored three goals that, on a good day, may have been... I don't 
tell my colleague, 99 times out of 100, Argentina wins that game and yes. wins by a very large margin. Yes. Yeah. Because that game also defied expected goals. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, defied expected goals, people. You, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I don't write that. Actually, the World Cup has defied exchanges. Oh, yes, it has. It has. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of XG uh, and all this modern day, whatever, even peddling around business. But really, Argentina needs to be better. Um, Especially up front, I think defensively they've more or less fixed themselves with Lissandro Martinez coming. He made five changes. Yeah, for, for the game against Mexico, mm. I think that that has changed them and steadied them defensively. I don't know where he got that his loyalty to uh, Romero. I don't understand it, but with Lissandro Martinez coming back, I think he steadied things. Um, midfield wise, they're still quite strong, but I just think that. The Messi effect remains in this team, but one person I'm ex- I was expecting to have a huge World Cup is Lautaro Martinez. Yeah. But somehow he's yet to light things up, and that is where I worry. I, I, you, know what makes, you know what makes him bad? Anytime he gets replaced by Julian Alvarez, Julian gives a whole lot. And, yeah. and the coach at the point in time will have to notice oh, that. Oh, we have to, of course. Yeah. We have to make those changes. Don't be surprised if he starts the last game. I won't be. Ah. I won't be. I won't be. But, but back to shockers. Um, I wanted to ask, do you think several shocks is actually good for a tournament? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, what he does is that, you know, for, for the people who come to a World Cup with zero expectation... It has a way of lifting their spirits and the expectations they have for their team. Expectations they have for the tournament. Some people already budget going to a World Cup for three matches. But they find that, oh, I'm going to get an opportunity to extend my stay. My team is going to get an extra match or two matches or three matches, as the case may be. So I think it's good for the game. And it also shows how preparation sometimes can get the better of all the greatest talents assembled in the world. So if you are able to prepare your team adequately with lesser known talent, with less talented players, you can still get the better of the, probably the most talented team anyway. But, but I, 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 I must also tell you that when there's a highly dramatic group stage, with several favorites falling, yeah. your knockout stage might be underwhelming. Oh, yes. Very the much perfect so. Perfect example, Korea-Japan 2000. Yes, yes. A yes. lot <laughs> of the favorites <laughs> fell out. Even those who, who, who scaled through went out in the second round. Oh, Italy, yeah. Italy Spain. Spain. You, you get it. So, and it, it just gives you... Although I, I thought the final was good. Brazil, the final was good. Brazil, Germany. But you just get a feeling that from knockout, what, what is left for you to, to watch? And then you get a lot more penalty shootouts. Yeah. Than, yeah. Than yeah, because it becomes favorite against underdog. Underdog dog, you know the setup. <laughs> just Let's just take it into shootouts. All right, um, let's talk about Brazil. And um, I mean, it started well. Good performance against Serbia, good win um, for them. By the way, I was, I mean, there was this viral bed slip I saw. Uh, I think the guy was just waiting on Vinicius to make two or more assists. For real? And yeah. then he made, uh, yeah. he made the two. He made the two, but technically one was disallowed. Yeah, because goalkeeper. Exactly, and I mean, I felt for that guy. Oh. I mean, that was was at thirty odds or something like that. That's that twenty-two assists was at thirty odds. Yeah, two, wow. two plus assists, and um, that was really huge. Felt uh, really felt for the guy. But let's talk about. Um, I mean, for Brazil, this it looks like there's always misfortune going with them because now that's <laughs> the that's the Neymar injury. Yeah. He suffered that in 2014. This time around, we thought he was coming into this World Cup in the form of his life. In fact. I don't think he's going to any tournament in this kind of form. 
how do Brazil... Probably a little more, much more mature. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, let's take this categorically. I think Brazil are not better without Neymar. No. Now, the question is, how do Brazil breathe without Neymar? Okay, so my first worry when I watched the game against Serbia was the lineup. Um, I was worried with him having to play in midfield, like play behind the striker, more or less, and having Casemiro and Paqueta being either the double pivot or Casemiro being the one. Mm. Uh, so I worried about the fact that he was going to use a lot of the ball, so to get a lot of the ball, and that might put pressure on the Brazilian midfield. I worried about that. Casemiro showed that <laughs> his head and shoulders above anybody when it comes mm. to playing in that midfield position. Now, you're looking at the entire Brazil setup, and the only way forward without Neymar is probably backwards. Backwards is the sense that you're looking at that team list, that squad, and you feel the only person that can come in is not a creative player. Probably a central midfielder who will help to steady things in the middle and probably give Paqueta an option, an opportunity mm. to go for. Yeah. But then, Paqueta, Neymar, <laughs> two different players, two different attitudes, two different applications, you know. So, a lot would depend on the likes of Vinicius, like you mentioned, to probably carry the keg. Um, but I, 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 I've got a couple of suggestions yeah, how they could fix it, how Cheche could fix it. Um, there's the Paqueta option, like you said, although somebody still has to come into midfield. But how about probably Fred comes in there. Um, That's why I said that the only way forward is backwards. So backwards is like now, bringing someone now, maybe now, defensively. Now, 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 let me give you another way forward. Now you've given me way backward. Let me be progressive, yeah. How about Rodrigo? Um, I know that we see Rodrigo mostly on the right side, opposite oh, to Neymar. Centrally. You know, but maybe he could also fill in in that midfield role. I Although another so. option also, which I think is a braver one, not risky, is to bring in Bruno Guimarães into the squad. That's why I said the, 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 the best option going forward is probably to go backwards. Mm. So you have the option of Bruno Guimarães, Fred... Fabinho, you know, those guys are the additional plug you can put in to join Casemiro and Pocetta and Mitchell. But they are not Neymar. They are not Neymar. They're not anywhere close to Neymar. Yes, they will give you the same energy, the same industry. Guimarães has started scoring goals now, so he has a goal threat in him yeah. as well. Um, I think that's the best way Brazil can go about it is to probably add a second midfielder that can you know play alongside uh, Casemiro, and then just probably put the burden of going forward of creativity on their wide players, which includes most especially Vinicius. I mean, there's a hope in the Brazilian camp that Neymar returns for oh, yes. the knockout stages. I, I read that uh, the swelling has gone down. So if you, even if he misses this one, he'll probably play the third one. And it actually feels as if the Serbians had... Um, that a game plan. Operation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that a game plan. And that's why I was worried for Casemiro, because, look, if, you, if you're looking for well-organized, tactically drilled team. is the Eastern European teams. Oh, yeah. They are very strong, you know. And that's why I like the coaches. They don't, they don't mess around. Yep. So they, once they have a job to do, they prepare for the team adequately. And you should see what they did to me, man. They kicked him out. So long ago. I mean, for Messi too, I think there are also concerns about his fitness. Probably yeah. dispelled that after um, the win against Mexico. Let's talk about Ecuador too. Ecuador have been surprisingly, oh, surprisingly yeah. good. 
I thought um, that um, the draw against the Netherlands was well deserved. Probably could mm. have even gotten a win um, if the the frame the, the first goal that was uh, that was also chopped yeah. off too. And um, I mean, their first game was always easy peasy against against Qatar. They look like your odds-on favorite to progress alongside Netherlands. But that well, game against Senegal, Senegal. <laughs> that's, I mean, winner takes all. Winner takes all. The Senegal can't afford to draw that game. And I'm not to be sentimentally. I think Ecuador favorite. Oh, definitely. Ecuador's favorite. Forget the fact that uh, Senegal defeated Qatar 3-1. It could have been worse for Senegal. Uh, but the game against Ecuador, Qatar was much more comfortable for Ecuador. And look at the way Ecuador took on the Netherlands. Uh, they had more of a cutting edge with Enel Valencia up front. Uh, the, the kind of work that Moses Saicedo does in midfield is excellent work. That guy is not going to be at Brighton when the summer comes calling. I, yeah. I just I can feel it in my bones, the way he plays, with a lot more experience, covering a lot of ground. And that's what has set Ecuador apart from and the And their wing play... Lovely. I've always yeah, talked about the way the they use their fullback. Yeah, Angel Preciado, the gang guy, and uh, Pervis' uh, opinion. Fantastic. I mean, the way they bump forward and, and at the same time, defensive awareness, very fantastic from them. Great stuff from Ecuador. Didn't think that um, they would upset this group that much. Uh, but then, if you if you follow them from the qualification series yeah. and how they ruffled a lot of feathers in Good South America, oh and, yes, and, and, and Anna Valencia rolling back the years. Oh, rolling back the years. I think it's called <laughs> their last six goals in the World Cup. That's remarkable. Remarkable. All right, um, still um, Alakata podcast, and we're talking about the South Americans, and um, you can't talk about South America the World Cup without talking about Uruguay, right? <laughs> But, um, I mean, uh, you, you, you know what they say about um, some things are showing life, you pay tax, rain, and Oscar Tabares at the World Cup. This time around, I mean, there's no Oscar Tabares, actually. You know, at the World Cup, he's been replaced by someone much more younger. I think he had two stints as Uruguay yeah. manager, but it's done well for them, no doubt about it. Oh, he's done well for but, them, he's done well for but, himself. But I, I, I think his longevity as at the helm, has also ensured that they could not really freshen up. Yes. And it's hurting them right now. Definitely. So they're at the end of an era, with the, especially up front, even defensively. And it's a the, painful end. It's a yeah. painful end. It's a painful end. Look, at, look at how they're struggling. They can't even... Ah. Suarez didn't have a shot <laughs> on goal. Wait now, the game Uruguay-South Korea is the first game in World Cup, I think, is it World Cup history yes, since yeah, without, 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 without a, shot. a shot on target. Yeah, I think it's it's, 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 it's a record, not even, it's the first time it's happening. Yeah. That's, that's a very poor quality um, of, of game. And, and it's not for a want of personnel. The personnel is there. But how is it that um, they just couldn't get going and you know, finish up whatever it is that they put? I think there's a, at a point I looked at Uruguay and I thought this manager is probably a little bit confused as well. Um, he tried to freshen things up with the likes of uh, Fakoto Pesteri, the Manchester United youngster, yeah. getting a, a, a chance. But just looking at them up front, Suarez, Cavani, uh, Darwin Nunes, who's supposed to be the guy who's supposed to carry the bag, you know, going forward. I would have preferred to start with the younger lads. Leave the Suarez's and the uh, Cavani's on the bench. When the game gets really rough, you can bring them in for the experience. I, I think there's also a discussion about, by the way, Ghana, I've just taken the lead against them, um, against South Korea. But 
there's also the discussion or the conversation about how Uruguayan football also is not producing enough. Yes, yeah. Remember that Uruguay also has to, used to give us some fantastic talents at under-17 level. Yeah. I mean, there used to be all the teams to watch out for at those age-grade levels. But suddenly, there's been a death of, of, of talent, and you could also see that in, in, in this World Cup. But, um, you know, times of the essence, we have to just um, uh, quickly move away from this. Um, it's really painful um, seeing Uruguay suffer this way. Even Darwin Nunez, I don't think he's a number nine. I think he's probably a guy who comes from the left. Uh, we've seen that a couple of times in Liverpool um, recently. All right, we're going to take another break. And, um, yeah, it's time to focus on the Europeans, France, Belgium. I mean, you, you, you brought out um, a fantastic analysis on how Diego Alonso, what's the name of the coach of Uruguay? Yeah, I think it's something Alonso. Mm. Showing some blind faith in the old order. And I think that also is found in another team messing up. <laughs> Especially when they've been given the tag of the gold injection. We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go anywhere. It's still Halakot. Welcome back. It's still the Halakata podcast. Yeah, I mean, Adesai is here um, on the pod as well. I've been talking about um, the World Cup so far, so good. And um, Africa seems to be on its way to its um, third win of the tournament. Ghana leading South Korea um, in this moment. That, that looks good. Mohamed Salah, I think, with that goal um, for the Blacksters of Ghana. But yeah, I mean, let's talk about um, the Europeans real quick. And um, who have you been impressed with the most so far, so good? Ah, Spain. Not France. Uh, no, no, no. Both Spain. Because they pass a lot. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm probably one of Luis Enrique's biggest critics. I felt that a number of players that he could have taken to this World Cup that he didn't, jettisoned all those guys for his own belief and uh, for his brainwave, let me put it that mm. way. And then his boldness to play Rodri at centre-back. Yeah. That, Is that, that boldness or what? I think it's madness, really. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I think when he tried against Costa Rica, basically it was him having in mind that they were not going to do a lot of defending. Yeah, but he now did it against, against Germany. Yeah, that, that's why I thought that was madness. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was madness. Because at first I thought it was Busquets. Actually, that was a centre-back. But then I saw the question, it was actually Rodri. Rodri still has some legs. Busquets has no legs. Also, he might also have taken it also from the Pep Guardiola playbook too. I mean, it's madness, Wally. It's madness. Okay, look at... The game against uh, Germany, they had chances, they had more possession. Spain more often than will possess more of the game. But that finish, the finish article, is where they were lacking. Then they had to finally go to the bench and bring Avara Marata in to get the goal. So I have been impressed with Spain and the way they've played. Why? Because I particularly wish them bad at this World Cup for not taking David the Hell first, for Whatever ridiculous reason they didn't, not taking Danny Parejo, Senor Canales, taking Senor Ramos. I felt this guy, you are going to bond yourself by yourself, you know, but they've been good. France, on the other hand, are, are benefiting from an injury that they didn't expect was going to happen. Mm. Lucas Hernandez getting injured. First of all, I do not know why is Deschamps. We played Lucas Hernandez ahead of Theo yeah, Hernandez. But, 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 but I then I understand this is conservative. Conservative. But look at the effect Theo Hernandez has had on this team. As a left back, he's probably been the best in his position. He's created the most. Open space for Kevin, yeah, Kylian Mbappe to come into central areas. Yeah. So 
So for me, sometimes conservativeness can be knocked out of the window by just a little bit of a sprinkle of dust from the change. Honestly, I won't, blame, I won't blame Didi because this approach worked at the last World Cup and they won the World Cup. Yeah, I but mean, remember how people complained about them not attacking, not scoring enough goals? Yeah, but Chua Hernandez, as at 2018, was not at the level that is probably the left, best left back in the world yeah, today. Yeah, so yeah. it's not at that level today, especially considering that his brother, Lucas Hernandez, has more or less struggled every time he's played in that position. True, true. Having to find his feet at Bayern. Still hasn't justified his price tag at Yeah, Bayern. so for me, it was a no-brainer that Chua Hernandez would start. But good enough, sometimes <laughs> they say they tell you, oh, bye bye. <laughs> but, 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 by the way, Spain, Germany, for me, I don't know about you, is still the best quality game so far the world. Oh, yes, overall, 100%. I mean, players matching each other. Look at the the the, the tactical battle between Gundogan and, and, and Busquets, pressing eye, the both teams. Thinking, guys, thinking, yeah. guys on their feet, thinking I mean, on their feet. Germany ended the first half with about 31.9% of the possession, but looked at, at the way they but came the back. Way if, yeah, yeah. You, you would, you would, you would. When you see the possession start and you watch the game, you yeah. ask yourself, really, how did you get that at one percent? Because Germany still showed that they could be True. troublesome. They could cost them trouble. What fuck have you said about Jamal Musiala? And the fact that the two, the two goals were decided by the substitutes tells you how much of input. And why is it important to have a focal point oh, yeah. in attack? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Full Krug. Focal, full Krug. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I mean, I saw Jamal Mushala. I'm, I'm not going to ignore that. That boy, that boy. That boy is going to be a problem. Ah, why didn't this boy just play yeah, for Nigeria? That boy is going to be a problem. I, I think it was, it was um, he came through the Chelsea system. Yeah. yeah so uh, left for 200,000 pounds. And now it's probably worth they must, 100 they, times. They must, they must be regretting that. Right oh, now. yes. All right. Um, quickly, let's talk about um, Belgium, shall we? First of all, I want to ask you, do you always believe in golden generations? Yes, I, I, I used to be one that believed in golden generations, but this Belgian has uh, confounded all. But, but to be honest, did they ever have a golden generation? Oh, they did have a golden generation. But the problem is, you also have to realize that with everything, with every golden generation, there has to be some kind of replenishment. That generation has to keep evolving. I will mention a number of golden generations that have come in the past have not been successful because they also kept to this template of not changing things. Uh, look at Belgium. The back line for Belgium, excluding Thibaut Courtois, is over 30. And they've been at several World Cups. But, and the painful thing is Belgium don't look like they are developing defenders. So if you take out the three, what you hear is... Uh, there's Wood uh, Fikes? There's, I'm talking of, in terms of real substitutes that can come in for them, you're talking Boyata first, you're talking um, the, the chap at uh, Lyon, uh, the at Manchester City. Those are the first replacements that come to your mind. And you ask yourself, come on, this thing should have been... And with all the good work but, but, that but, we hear in the background that they're doing in Belgium... Oh, yeah? You ask yourself, what is going on? But then the flip side could also be the manager not willing to gamble exactly. on a new set of players to come in and play. I think there's a lot of blind faith right now. Oh yes, I, and, I, and it's 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 burning him right now. I said I said this morning uh, on, on on the show that certain teams should have told themselves going to this work that look, this player is not fit. This player is not fit. Keep him at home. Get somebody that's fit. Edin Hazard has come. made only three starts this season for Real Madrid. Yeah. We are starting and to get, get first for games. Belgium. 
You I, took Lukaku, who, who has struggled this we'll season. probably not play up to the final game. Or, I came on. He came but, on, but, but yeah. So there, there, there are certain times where managers need to know that look, we need to take hard line decisions. Yeah. And those hard line decisions are probably dropping Hazard and not taking Lukaku. I mean, just imagine Leandro Trossa starting. I mean, yeah. that's belief you put in the player himself. Yeah. Who also is he's very, very he's good form. Yeah, he's also in a good place and good form, like like you've just said. And um, I just hope that doesn't cost them because that means they're on the brink. So oh, what, they're on um, the brink. They have to defeat Croatia in the final game. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to happen. Very, very lethargic display from, from them. Um, talk about um, um, Belgium. But I just wanted to um, quickly ask him um, still with um, the Belgians and the comments of Kevin De Bruyne. What did you make of it? I, I thought that diplomatically he shouldn't have said that. But the true matter is, I think he's factually correct. That the squad is too old. <laughs> and he said that their best chance to win the World Cup was, was 2018. 2018. Yeah. And now... They are too old, and uh, you could see they how four years I think Vertogen yeah. also in, in replied with a jibe that the reason why we can't score is maybe we are too old, you know, up front. And you, you look at that, that comment. Oh, so guess what? Robert Martinez takes off Edin Hazard. Guess who he brings on? Dries Mertens. <laughs> how is Mertens? 35. <laughs> so I think it's, it's actually correct. Yeah. And I don't think that they have a problem with regenerating. They have, they have the talent. They have. It is the... Faith I think he's that the coach. Enough. And I think he's probably going to be on his way out after this oh, World Cup. Oh, yes. Goal. Yeah, alongside Thierry Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On, uh, no, no, no. Henry uh, or not too much. Henry just ignored one of the Niger journeys. I knew you were going to go there. Yeah. And he's having a reputation. He has a reputation. I just knew you were going to Make go sure there. Make sure Thierry can see. got ignored when it was at New York Red Bulls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. not forgiving him for that. Akela also got his own dose. And now uh, Andrew Randa yeah, yesterday. Yeah, so they need to get out. I, I, I mean, I love Henry, but I mean, he has to, he has to do better. Yeah, but he just lost the game. He has to do better. He just lost the game. All right, um, quickly, real quick, real quick. Yemi, what are the tactical trends you, you think you've enjoyed so far the World Cup? I think the first one has to be the madness of uh, Luis Enrique <laughs> to play Rodri as centre-back. I think it's absolute madness uh, to do that. Then I think uh, another one has to be, I like the way some teams have used playing three at the back. It's, it's really looked good for certain teams. And then, most importantly, Japan and Saudi Arabia are two teams that I think have really impressed me with their application into games. For, forget the fact that they lost the, their second matches, even though I think Saudi Arabia were oh, quite unlucky they, against they Poland. They themselves well against Poland. Poland. Yeah. I think we were unlucky, but it just shows you that sometimes the sum of the parts is more important than, than the individual talent, yeah, yeah. and you have to get Saudi Arabia and Japan I think another thing I've taken away from World Cup is that the role of the number ten is still alive. Yeah. Yes. Kodikapo. Even though, even though, even though, uh, as time has gone on, many managers have tried to find a way to. Yes, yeah, I understand. But what I've also said is that either you play three at the back or four three three, the role of number ten is still alive. I mean, look at the Netherlands where they play three at the back, but they still Kodikapo playing in that role. Neymar also a number ten for for Brazil until he got injured, mm. and um, you can go all around. I think they are number ten. So it's a very good thing for people like yeah, us. Yeah, but that's just, that's just how many teams out of 32. All right, it's 2 Ghana, so um, this is looking good, Mohamed Kudus, <laughs> uh, with the second one. So go Ghana. I, 
I, I think I still, I, I tweeted that I, I deserve some kudos for Mohamed Kudus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, for, for Ghana, it's it's like poetic justice. I thought that VAR did them dirty against, against Portugal. Portugal, yeah. Yeah, so maybe they're getting justice for that. Um, and probably also the fact that Son is known 100% for this World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah. selling on the South Koreans. All right, Yemi, thank you very much for coming through to the Halakata podcast. And um, Yemi, definitely, and I, Olawali Adigo, will be constant um, on this podcast. So, guys, um, always look out for this one every now and then. So, remember um, to download um, and um, subscribe to um, the Halakata podcast on all of the platforms um, out there. Until we see you next time, keep enjoying the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Alad Qatar podcast. Subscribe and listen on Apple, Google, Amazon, Anchor, Spotify, and the Do.